Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast, a multimedia project intended to highlight the careers of leaders of color across the healthcare industry. Students, early professionals, and the community at large can expect to gain valuable, unapologetic insight on the career journeys of individuals whose lived experience and personal mission has been centered in advancing health equity. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Today, we are joined by Hillary Harris, Executive Director of Patient Care Operations at Barnes-Jewish Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. Hillary, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us, Hillary. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey up until this point and um, just kind of share with us uh, just a little bit more about you. Sure, thank you. So I have um, had the pleasure of being with Barnes Jewish Hospital here in St. Louis for um, the last 23 years. Um, I'm at a transition point in my career in that uh, I currently serve as the executive director for patient care operations, but at the end of March, I will be transitioning to a new role within one of our um, sister hospitals within BJC Healthcare as the Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for Christian Hospital. So um, lots of change happening right now in my world, but um, very exciting. I am a physical therapist by training and um, actually started my career at Barnes Jewish Hospital as a physical therapy student, um, and then was fortunate to be able to be hired um, during a time when there were no physical therapy jobs, um, you know, the Balance Budget Act of uh, 1999 or 98, whichever one it was, had just happened. And I started physical therapy school um, and there were um, lots of jobs, sign-on bonuses. And by the time I finished physical therapy school, there were none. And so I was hired um, a few, about a month after um, I finished my clinical and started working here um, two weekends a month and was grateful to have some sort of employment and then was full-time within about a month of that point in time. Uh, and really have been able to grow my career here at Barnes Jewish Hospital in ways that I never anticipated. Um, as a staff therapist, I work primarily in our cardiothoracic ICU um, uh, doing early mobility before early mobility was really the the in thing, um, but our uh, cardiothoracic ICU have had um, therapists, physical therapists in the ICU for probably five to 10 years prior to my start um, and was really a pioneer in that space. And so um, I loved being at the bedside. It was where I excelled and um, like many, um, uh, clinicians who are excellent at what they do, they oftentimes get tapped on the shoulder for leadership. And um, first it was informal leadership, and then it was, um, there was an opportunity for a lead therapist um, that came available. And I um, took the opportunity and was able to really start growing my career. And then it started to really get bitten by the leadership bug, so to speak. I, I enjoyed developing team members. I did a lot of our new employee orientation and training of new um, therapists across um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech pathology, and was really, um, really began to find myself. Never really thought of myself of completely leaving the bedside, uh, but was um, 
really enjoying the opportunity to spend time on team development um, and leadership and then moved into supervisor role um, eventually to the manager of the rehab department and it was when i was the manager of the department that i discovered hospital operations as i was being pulled into various hospital projects and really began to say okay this is this is where i like to to live um, this is fun for me it's what i enjoy i love solving the complex problems of hospital operations and uh and i'm biased and i think that my training as a physical therapist sets me up to do it very well um, and helps me to do the work um, in different ways compared to other individuals and so um, i have been um, uh, fortunate to then move in to be uh, a director of first therapy services so including respiratory care and pulmonary rehab and then for the last two years i've served in the role of executive director for patient care operations um, my primary area of responsibility is capacity management um, and ensuring that we are keeping the wheels if you will of barnes Jewish hospital moving um, but then also have responsibility for a lot of the uh, ancillary teams that support patient care services, so case management and social work, our nursing office, um, our patient support services, um, our therapy teams, and uh, then um, also have responsibility for vulnerable populations, so a lot of my work is also around um, improving uh, care and access for our sickle cell population in St. Louis. So a bit of everything um, across the organization. Um, there's so much uh, to ask you about. So the first question as a follow-up to your response, and thank you so much um, for giving a thorough answer. Um, why physical therapy? You know, why was that the initial kind of, you know, entrance for you? And then, you know, you, you said that that kind of helped you see operations in a different light. Can you kind of go into you know, what what improved your lens regarding operations after serving in a PT role? Well, if I was honest, I was pre-med when I started college. <laughs> um, and I wanted to be a doctor. I was always interested in science as a kid and um, had um, an interest in the study of genetics. Actually, it was from having a, a friend in high school that was um, in, in middle school that had sickle cell. And so it was really about learning about how do you, how do you provide care and how do you make things better? Um, and, but my sister also, who was premature as a baby, um, also received physical therapy. And, you know, we would oftentimes do the exercises and stuff like that with her. And, um, in college, I encountered organic chemistry and I do not have the brain of an organic chemist. And so therefore I decided that maybe I should think about what can I do so that I don't have to take organic chemistry ever again in life. Um, and so uh, my advisor in college was phenomenal and said, have you thought about physical therapy? She had um, a colleague who had her own physical therapy business and was really able to, um, was a graduate of Washington University in St. Louis and was really able to um, 
show me that black women could be physical therapists. Um, she was a black woman who had other black women who were physical therapists that worked for her. And so uh, that really opened my eyes to something I had never considered. And um, the more I started to investigate it, I decided that that was where I wanted to, to grow. It allowed me to connect with patients in a way that, um, you know, doctors, you know, don't necessarily get. Um, it allowed me not to have, you know, the overnights and some of the other things that I wasn't sure I really wanted as a doctor. Um, and so I, uh, that was where I kind of found my niche into physical therapy. Um, and so to your question about why does, why do I think physical therapy has trained me to think differently? Well, you know, in physical therapy, it's, it's really the study of motion and improving motion. And so that can be the small motion that you see at, you know, how the knee works and, you know, the way that the patella tracks or the big motion of walking and um, for, and, and there's a lot that when you look at it, you have to look holistically and say, okay, where is the problem? And then is that problem something that I can correct? Or do I have to create a different strategy for how that motion can be done? And you do short-term, um, you know, you do, you set short-term goals, you set long-term goals, and you develop an intervention plan to help you to achieve those. And, you know, when you think about solving complex hospital problems or other issues, it is really a matter of saying, um, okay, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Um, do we need to correct? Do we need to come up with a new strategy? Do we need to adjust? And then you have to have an intervention plan with short-term and long-term goals to help you get there. And so I think the way I think as a result of my training really helps um, me to do that well without having to, you know, really adjust anything. Wow. I mean, I really love the fact that you were able to kind of translate the the, the skill set or the thought process of the, the physical therapy over to the administrative world and the leadership world. And um, I think that's a perfect segue into the next question for me. Um, it sounds like for you, um, you know, patient care was very rewarding. Uh, you were able to connect with the patient. Um, and, and your and your solid work kind of spoke for itself and, and that the leadership opportunities were brought to you. Um, can you kind of talk a little bit about that transition from the patient care to the to the administrative leadership world and, and how that that transition was for you? So it, the transition was fairly uh, natural for me in the sense that I began to see how my influence really was much broader. So, when I was at the bedside, I would see, you know, 12 patients at most in one day. Uh, and I would touch those 12 patients and then the next day it would be a new 12 patients and, and you know, that sort of thing. Whereas when I was, um, you know, when I began in leadership in the rehab department, you know, we had therapists that were touching every patient or about half of the patients in the hospital. And so suddenly the work I was doing was increasing the, the, you know, the number of patients that I could indirectly touch. Um, and so if I could make the work better for the therapist, then that made um, 
their job easier to provide care. Um, or in, in the situation of my current role where I'm really looking at how do we improve throughput? How do we keep the doors open and create access for patients that are either in the emergency department or needing to come from another outside hospital? Really, I'm looking at, you know, the 1,100 patients we have in the hospital and the, you know, the, the 30 patients that are wanting to come into the organization from an outside hospital. How can I create um, capacity for them and touch an even broader patient population? Um, and so for me, it was a natural transition. I, I started to see kind of my delivery of care and my care of team members, um, but also delivery of care in that I was caring for a much broader population of patients um, indirectly through the work I was doing. Um, that's a you know brilliant answer. And I really have to double down on uh, Brandon's comment. I think the mobility, you know, metaphor between, you know, a patient, you know, and then a health system or hospital is brilliant because, you know, as an institutional organization, hospitals have to move, right? They have to be flexible, you know, can't be rigid. Um, and, you know, so just that obviously speaks to your genius. I'm going to be honest. It speaks to just how you think already. But, you know, for us, and I'm thinking about, you know, the Hillary in 2023, who's at the bedside right now. And I'm just curious for you, did you always have aspirations to be a leader? What was, you know, when you first started out and even as you started to develop and, you know, become a hot shot within the department, where was your mind at in terms of, okay, I could, I could be this or I could be that. What was that, you know, the height of your career back then? You know, when I started as a bedside therapist, it was, that was my career. I oftentimes joke with people that a hospital executive is my second career. Um, and that I never thought that that's what I would do. Um, and, and I think part of it was I didn't know what was possible um, because I hadn't seen it. And so I think that that's why having people in positions of leadership that look like you, that, that are in roles that you were in is so critical for you know, the, the new people coming into the workforce today so that they can see what's possible. And so, um, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't conceptually know that you could be, you know, um, a therapist and also a chief operating officer. That wasn't in my mindset, you know, when I started 23 years ago. And so, but I was fortunate to have leaders that really pushed and challenged me once I moved into leadership um, and was fortunate to be able to have um, strong mentors who, you know, started to say, so what are your goals? What, what do you want to do? Where do you see yourself in five years? Which was a really hard question for me because I don't like to have things planned out on a year, I, I just don't, my brain doesn't work that way for me in the sense of saying in five years, I'm going to be this role, right? Like that seems really presumptuous in my mind that I, I, you know, there's so many different factors, but they really began to help me focus on, okay, so if you don't want to say a specific role, where do you, what do you want to develop? What are those skills and things like that, that you um, want to focus on, or what are the areas of 
leadership practice that you want to continue to grow in. And so, um, you know, I think that having leaders who really supported my development, who allowed me to attend um, training courses or, or various leadership development programs that really helped broaden my mind, um, I think that that has been a pivotal impact in my career to say, this is what's possible and don't sell yourself short, Hillary. You know, you can do more, you can achieve more than you thought um, when you first started out. Wow, I just, so thank you um, yeah, for that. Um, I think that's beautiful. And I actually love the thought process of, you know, not necessarily thinking about the destination or the position three to five years out, but just more so how you want to develop. I'm actually, I was like, man, if I did that, you know, with something, you know, come out different um, than what I, I think currently have projected. I think I definitely want to kind of just get a better sense of what your experience was like as a, as, as a young, you know, clinician, young leader, um, you know, a woman as well, a black woman in these spaces, we know that, you know, everyone has different experiences, but, you know, you mentioned having some key figures early on that were instrumental. How were you navigating these spaces all throughout your time? And, and was there any time where you felt like, oh, my identity is kind of either being put on front street or not being put on front street, you know, as you kind of elevated up the ladder? You know, that's a good question. I think that, um, from probably high school, um, I was somewhat outspoken when it come, came to just whatever, you know, I was talking with someone recently and said, you know, when I was in high school, I was in high school during the end of apartheid and went to a predominantly white high school where there was less than, there was like 300 students, 3,000 students and less than, um, I think 3% were black. And so it was a very isolate, it could be a very isolating community. Um, and there was no diversity club at the time. And so I remember in high school starting, helping start that diversity club. And so for me being, you know, in some ways a leader was part of who I was, you know, I'm the oldest and, you know, I bossed my siblings and cousins around a whole lot growing up. But um as I moved into different roles here, you know, I remember as a, at the bedside, you know, patients not wanting to have a person of color provide care. And, um, you know, it was one of those things, well, I, you know, here I am, I can get you up today and you can, you know, this is, this will help you discharge. And, you know, I'm happy to, to leave, but I can't guarantee you that someone's going to come back today. And usually patients would, you know, back you know, acquiesce. Some didn't. And, you know, but that was the reality of life that I had always experienced, right? You know, my parents raised us that, you know, as soon as you step out of the door, you're black and life is not necessarily fair and life is, is not necessary. And it, it's, it's not right, but you need to be prepared for this. And so, for me, it wasn't a surprise, it just was. Um, and so, um, and I was fortunate to see other black women and in, um, in leadership positions at this organization. And so 
I think that was important to see um, and see how they showed up, how they led, that they were involved not only in the leading of their service or their department, but that they were involved in other things within the community or in other ways, whether that was through their kids' schools or um, other things, but they were very involved. And I think that that has helped me as a black woman, as a leader to really um, kind of remember why I do what I do and, and to stay focused on um, the possible, because I think I've seen women who have been able to do it and then challenge. And the challenge to me is, well, you know, how do we, how do we set you up to be able to do this in the future? And I think for myself, that's what I try to then, you know, I take from my mentors and, and my um, leaders to say, okay, how, with my team, how do I, how do I help them in the way that I've been helped? I, I'm sorry, B. I keep telling you off. I apologize. I didn't love that. Stay focused on the possible. That is such a positive, I think, outlook and also like a, a really, you know, self-affirming, um, I think, you know, mindset to have. So I just had to throw that in there. I think that's the episode title. That was fire. So apologize, B. It's all you. <laughs> no, I knew it. I knew it. Honestly, uh, thank you so much, Hillary, for, for sharing that with us and our audience. Honestly, it's one of those messages that is, you know, just, just timeless. And I think um, it's it, it's kind of interesting um, that you as a black woman has been able to excel and perform at such a high level and meet so many challenges throughout your career at at um, at BJ, and 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 one of the things I, I would love to know more about is just you know, typically especially uh, nowadays you hear every twenty four to thirty six you know months be looking around or just kind of you know just keep your options open. So as somebody who's been able to do something this this well for this long at one organization. How how is that how is that as a challenge how was that as a pro how was that as a con and can you just maybe expound on that a little bit uh, I hate to leave you with such a vague question but no I I think I I get it in the sense that um, I don't know that I've ever gone looking for a new job if that makes sense um, in the sense that I know what my goals are and so I have told my goals to my leaders, or if I'm having a skip level conversation with someone, I'll say, you know, long-term, I would like to, I, I've said long-term, I could see myself doing a chief operating officer role. Um, and so I began to have those discussions. When I didn't know what a role was, it was, I see myself doing hospital operations, right? And so I would say it and I would talk about it. And then what I found is that they would give me then opportunity, as opportunities came up, they would come talking. So the first time I said to my boss, I think hospital operations is really where I want to be. Probably a month later, I got a call that said, we have a leadership gap in the emergency department. And we would like you to step in as the interim director. And my first response was to scream no, right? Like, I don't, that seems scary. That seems, I'm not a nurse. I'm not, 
I know nothing about an emergency room and running an emergency room. And so my first response was thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to fail, right? And so I, I don't want I don't want to fail. This seems risky. There's been a lot of turnover in that role. Is it the role? Is it the department? What is it? And instead, I kind of trusted and took a leap of faith to say, okay, yes, <laughs> I'll do it, but I don't want to fail. So how can I get support? And um, the response was, you will not fail. Um, and you can, we are confident that you can do this. And so for me, that was one of the first tests of my leadership skills in that it was out of my wheelhouse of expertise. You know, I had been leading our therapy departments. So even though I'm not a respiratory therapist, it was the same still discipline. I'm not an occupational therapist or speech pathologist, but some of the principles are the same. And so that was the first foray outside of an area of expertise and um, really allowed me to test what I what I knew, which was leadership. And that's where I felt like I had um, the first validation that my leadership skills were transferable outside of my area of expertise. Wow. Um, so, I, so I have to just, you know, for our audience, um, Barnes-Jewish Hospital, one of the largest hospitals in the country, level one trauma center in St. Louis. So when we're talking about the ED, just in terms of complexity, volume, like many other cities, but it is a it is a beast. Um, and so, and Hillary, I believe you actually have served in that role twice. You've kind of provided some backup, right? Correct. So I'm I'm helping. I'm still <laughs> helping support now again. <laughs> so, so my so for me, this is just fascinating because I really feel like outside of meetings, I haven't heard you. I haven't had a chance to hear you really speak to just the healthcare piece of everything that you do. And so, you know, I've been able to observe other leaders, right, of, you know, particular departments or service lines, and you could kind of tell, like, okay, you know, this, these are the key KPIs that they're looking for, this is what makes them happy, this is what they feel confident in talking about. I've seen you, I feel like, be a rogue director, executive director for the entire hospital, right, in this, this interesting title that you have now, so what are some of your, you know, validators? How do you feel good when you leave, you know, the hospital every day? You know, what is, what reinforces that, okay, like I am doing what I need to be doing. And is that something that you take personally, you know, like, hey, like I've done a good job or is it more so my teams and the hospital? Because you've done so much as an individual yourself. I just have to, have to say that. So I am, uh, that's a great question. You know. Sometimes in, when you're in the work, right, and you're doing the work, you don't always realize the impact you're, you're having. And so, you know, sometimes it's just the day-to-day -day and you're on this hamster wheel and you can't really see the accomplishments. And then usually at some point in time, something, you'll be in a meeting and people are reviewing data and all of a sudden you'll see it. And so um, an example that I'll give that was validating for me that the work is the right work is that the work with sickle cell um, is is hard work it's challenging work it's um, really you know combating all the isms right you know poverty racism 
um, structural discrimination, all of it, and really trying to say, how do we create access for a population of patients who need specialized differentiated care? And so, um, and you've got providers that are committed to the work, you've got um, patients who are not having good experience. And so um, we started in 20, into 2018, 2019, a committee really to focus on that work and to partner with our, um, our physician partners to make improvements. And we were really focused initially on the readmissions. Um, we had at Barnes Jewish Hospital, it was the, <clears throat> excuse me, the number, the top, the third um, highest readmission rate. And um, it was at like 35%. And we were in a meeting sometime last year and they said, they, uh, our data analysts showed us the trend year over year and the improvements that we made. And we were down to like 26% readmission rate. And so it was like, it is working, you know? So for me, that was extremely valid. That was the satisfaction that I took out of it was saying, seeing the, the metrics improve. Now, of course, then I was like, but we've not communicated that to the community and, you know, things like that, you know, cause I'm always looking for the next, you know, the improvement, but um, that was an area where uh, I felt like as a, as a broad team of the work that we were doing, was making an impact because we had seen a measurable, measurable improvement in the outcomes. Um, I think other things, it's really looking to see, are we seeing improvement, whether that's in through the execution of standard work or process, um, and then also the relationships. I think for me, the relationships with my peers or, um, providers or my direct reports are the things that to me are foundational to how we, um, to my success as a leader. And that if, when I see those relationships really thriving and then resulting in process being improved and process being changed and standard work and, and that sort of thing really being implemented, that's when I feel like you start to see the results. And so for me, I think those three things are how I then get the validation and satisfaction is that looking to see, do I have each of those things? Because the results sometimes are really hard to get because it is, you know, with some of, when I think about our capacity management and some of those metrics that we track with throughput and things like that, Sometimes it's not a pretty picture and it's hard to get results because staffing is causing us to be less efficient. And you, there's so many factors that can cause the scorecard to be all red. But when you see the other things that are, you're doing the right work, you're making improvements and how that standard work is being done. And you see small changes in the outcomes, but you're not getting those big changes yet. They will come, it just is slow sometimes and you have to be patient. I actually, um, I love how you linked the relationship with your peers, direct reports and leaders to improved 
you know, adoption of standard work or just rolling out of that to segue into, you know, improve patient outcomes. I actually think that's really powerful because what I hear from you is, you know, the culture of the organization is something that you also focus on. And I think, you know, we definitely could sit here and say that you are a direct product example of the evolution of the culture of, of Barnes Hospital. But um, personally, how have you seen that evolve? How have you seen the organization evolve from just the culture, um, also the operations? Because it's my understanding that in years past, a couple of decades ago, it's always been a crazy place, but wasn't as crazy as it you know has been in the last few years. So just what you know has your perspective of that evolution been like? Oh goodness, it's changed a ton. Um, you know, it's always been a really complex place with um, lots of things happening. I think that's why those of us that have stayed for as long as we have love it here is because the complexity. But I think that like healthcare in general, Barnes Jewish Hospital and BJC Healthcare have evolved over time. And I think a lot of it is due to the leadership that's in place um, and the leaders that um, are really focused on not only uh, the here and now, right, but making the organization stronger, better, more nimble, um, and focusing on leader development and that sort of thing. I think all of that has really contributed to a positive um, culture. Um, Let's see, you said something, what was the second part of your question? I'm sorry. Oh, how um, I see the operation, like the actual yeah. healthcare, the operations is just doing that as well. Yeah, you know, the operations probably have become more complex <laughs> in the sense that, and I think a lot of it is, even when you think about pre-COVID and now in this kind of post-COVID era, um, there are so many different things that can disrupt the flow of the day. And, um, you know, pre-COVID, we were focused on our throughput and wanted to see things improving. Um, we were focused on safety and quality metrics and um, we're working on all sorts of initiatives. Um, but then with COVID, then you had, you know, this big, you know, illness and infection that touched every aspect of everyone's lives. Now we have supply disruptions that come into play. There's staffing challenges that touch every aspect of the organization. So from our, our EVS and, you know, food nutrition team members to um, our public safety officers, to the nursing, to the providers, there's not a there's not a role in the organization that's not touched with staffing challenges, um, and and so then you in trying to say okay to be able to operate efficiently here's what we need from a staffing perspective and you don't have that to begin with and so then but you still have to figure out how do you continue to deliver care and um, I think that that is one of the the biggest challenges that face healthcare going forward is how do we deliver care when the resources are not going to always be available and how do we do that efficiently and effectively going forward? Uh, I was just going to say, like, honestly, Hillary, I think you touched on a lot of really, really, really good points um, in regards to health hospital operations. Um, one of the things that kind of resonated to me was 
what you were saying earlier in regards to the data, you know, kind of validating what it is you have been doing in regards to the complex work in the ERs. Um, and, and, and for me, I think, you know, just working in hospital operations, we all look at as far as the strategic planning, as far as the goals, we always look at the data. But what are some of those things, those intangible things that you think um, as far as a hospital leader, as far as hospital operations that you think is really necessary, necessary and has withstood the, the test of time as things have gotten more and more complex, as things have, you know, um, you know, we start adding in more things to, to measure and track. What are some of those things that you say, you know what, outside of that, we need to make sure that these things are in order? Um, you know, I think our, our patient's experience, that has to be at the forefront. Um, because they're why they're, and, and I think some of our safety issue, you know, metrics and things like that, those are why we're here. That's, that's the whole reason that, you know, we were here is that we are creating a positive environment for our patients. It's a healing environment. It's safe. Um, and that we can achieve positive outcomes now, but I think in order to do that, you have to have a strong workforce. And so if you're not work, looking at how do you take care of your, your team and your workforce, then you will never achieve some of those other things. And so um, I, I think that, and, and that's really been a focus, um, that's really been a focus of ours over the last, um, you know, year or two is that how do we ensure that our leaders and our workforce are well taken care of, that they feel supported, that we stabilize them so that they can in turn take care of the team and the team can then in turn take care of the patients. You have given me a new appreciation for the phrase workforce stabilization. Because up until this point, I had never considered any leaders were really thinking like that, right? You know, I, I always was thinking, oh, we just want to make sure our staffing is good, you know, in our areas to get the highest volume that we need people for. Never really thought like, no, like what leaders are really saying is we really want, you know, the workforce to be stable, have stability, like you said, so they can be the champions that they are. Um, we're coming up on time, but there's so many different questions I have for you. Um, and you you address some things about sickle cell, which we'll have we're actually planning to have an episode, you know, dedicated fully to that. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Um, and I think that one of the things that you mentioned is and in that example that I don't want you know people to get lost is, you know, you were really just a champion, uh, a, a senior or executive sponsor. Um, you know, from my eyes, I have a little bit more insight being on some of those meetings that really were just, you know, holding people accountable. I feel like, um, to the care provision of those patients. And just that alone led to improved outcomes. So I think that just says a lot. It says a lot about what you can do when you have you know, uh, the seat at the table, so to speak, and you don't necessarily have to be some revolutionary, but literally just doing your job and focusing on that. So for some context for our listeners, at the beginning, Hillary mentioned that she's getting ready to make a, a pretty big transition. And uh, Barnes-Jewish Hospital, BJH, that's the flagship hospital of, of, our, of our healthcare system, kind of the big fancy, you know, thing, a part of the academic medical center, um, where we see a lot of complex, uh, you know, cases, a lot of patients um, from all over the world, the region, but also directly from the city of St. Louis, and where Hillary is getting ready to transition, 
um, for better or for worse, is kind of known as the premier hospital for uh, our Black population um, within St. Louis, North City and North County. So Hillary, for you, we talked about it a little bit, you know, before we got on, but, you know, some people may look at this transition and be like, wow, okay, higher title, more interesting, but not at the big fancy place with the huge equipment and the gigantic care teams that can do all of that and may have some more challenges, distinct challenges at a, at a, as a community hospital, excuse me. So how are you, you know, processing that, you know, what are the things that you're looking for and towards and what would you say to someone who may have that comment like oh wow you're leaving the academic medical center to go to the community you know what's going on with that so uh this was a question i actually got during the interview process and <laughs> um for me the answer was why not right why not go to christian hospital um the mission of christian hospital is very similar to the mission of barnes jewish hospital to provide care to those to the to the local community um, uh, to meet a need for the underserved and, and really deliver care at a high, um, that is high quality. Uh, and, and from that stance, it's a natural transition for me. Um, I have been committed to that mission um, over the last 23 years. It's why I've stayed. And I feel like that North County community deserves um, high quality healthcare. Um, in their own neighborhood. Why, why should I have to travel to get health care um, when I can get it in my own um, neighborhood? And so um, for me, it's, you know, it's really not um, a stretch to say, why would I want to do this? Um, it, it allows me to continue to grow my career to do so within um, the health system that I've been a part of for the last 23 years. Um, and uh, really, you know, as BJC begins this journey of being an integrative academic healthcare um, system, I think it's an it's an exciting time to say what will that look like in the future, and how will and what role will Christian Hospital play in that, um, and and how will that benefit the patients um, in that region? So. Wow, that's a very succinct, excellent answer. We can see why you're going to be the new CEO of Christian, um, of course. And this is just, I think it's so awesome uh, for our community, um, for our team, for our employees, for our patients, for everyone. So just thank you for continuing to be the leader that you are, the light that you are, the guide, uh, mentor, advisor, sponsor for all of us, because, you know, you, it's, a, it's a huge deal. Um, so we are approaching time. I heard that Outlook notification, so I know you're going to have other meetings to attend to. So just in our last few minutes, um, one of the things, you know, if Nigel was here, we'd have some rapid fire questions for you, but he's our local guy for that, so we won't do that. But we'll ask you, um, what is one piece or, you know, however many pieces of advice that you would give to, you know, folks like me, Brandon, uh, other folks that are, that are coming in our footsteps and, and just looking, you know, to to be the Hillary Harris one day. What is one piece of advice you'd share? Oh, that's a tough one. But, you know, I would say be patient um, and be open. Um, be open to things that you don't know why that you're being asked to do it. And um, open to whatever the opportunity is. Um, I feel like that has proven to be valuable for me is 
being open to requests to help with a project or to take on um, something that I'm like, mm, this seems, why are they asking me? And this is not really what I want to do, but being open to it and then, you know, giving it every, giving it a hundred percent. And out of that, I have found that that's where I've been able to show up differently for people, um, present myself, you know, not just as a physical therapist, but as a, as a solid healthcare leader and um, be seen differently um, within the organization. And for me, that's been extremely valuable. Thank you so much, Hillary, uh, for sharing just about your journey and, you know, just about your perspective. Um, is, is there any way that our, our listeners can get in contact with you, whether it be social media or just kind of learn more about you um, via the websites or anything like that? Yeah, so, I, you know, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn um, for sure and, you know, be happy to connect with um, individuals. Well, that's it for the episode, and we want to thank you for listening to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Make sure to check us out each month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and stay up to date with the Healthcare Hustle fam by following our page on LinkedIn. The marathon continues, so keep on hustling.